Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. Uh, this is your host, Timuchin, and today I have with me Debray joining us. Uh, how are you doing, Debray? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, pretty good. So this will be like a little local Chicago podcast, if you will. So um, so let's get right to it now that hopefully we caught our breaths. It's been like 24 hours, uh, which is barely enough to kind of like get back to normal after yesterday's game. But uh, what was your, I mean, obviously a tough game, um, huge three points. Uh, we'll probably talk about the lesser game, maybe do like a little prayer voodoo session at the end too. <laughs> Um, what were your like initial like takeaways from that game, or what was your biggest takeaway? I guess let's go. Let's start with that. The biggest picture is uh, what I'll say. Uh, I've I've said before is that this is a team that has character and resilience and the heart of a champion, no matter what the outcome is. Uh, yesterday was a really tough game. Newcastle, although they had nothing to play for, uh, in terms of uh, goals for the season they played very hard they were very committed they didn't feel the pressure but yet you could sense that they had the professional pride of wanting everybody to know that they were not going to be pushovers and so it became a very tough match uh, against a team that's probably better than their league standings would um, suggest yet even after the they equalized to make it 2-2 in the second half uh, and even though we didn't create really that many chances, you just had the sense that they would get an opportunity and they would convert and they would do it some way, somehow. I didn't predict Devak uh, Rigi, but, you know, he's done it before. So my biggest takeaway is, is that this is a team that is resilient and has the heart of a champion. And I really felt that, um, you know, they would come good in the end. Uh, and and they, they left it late. But they did come good. Yeah, it's almost you get the feeling that it's going to happen. I mean, as pessimist and aware as I am, especially during the games, uh, even more so than before the games. But, uh, you know, you almost feel like it's going to happen. And I think that that is a sign of a champion. I mean, let's hope, you know, it does end up that way. Uh, because this team does deserve it. I mean, the way they play, um, I I was very impressed with the... I mean, especially, like, for example, today you watch the game uh, with Arsenal against Brighton. And you can kind of see a team that kind of leaves its game plan 20 minutes to go and start chugging ball into the box to see if something can happen compared to Liverpool where, you know, still the same composure... Keep playing the same way you're playing because it's the way to success. That's the way to get to success. And you just keep going at it, keep plugging along. And and it does happen at the end. So, yeah, very impressive in terms of that, I think. The fact that, you know, the discipline, the maturity of the team, the maturity of a team that is actually young in terms of age but has some very good key mature pieces to kind of keep everything together and everybody on the same page. I mean, I was like, it, it was at one point, I think like, you know, Trent had like a, just like a bad pass that just ended up being a throw into Robo. And, you know, you can see even Robo as a young guy, you know, like everybody is like trying to calm each other down and say like, we got this. And that is like beautiful to watch and see, because it almost gives you confidence as a fan that, these guys know what they're doing, and they're going to get there. So that was very impressive. I, I agree to that. And so what did you think when the stunning lineup came out? Because I think it was like three weeks ago uh, when we saw Sturridge last, and I was like, I think we're 
done with storage. Um, I was trying to remember which game it was that I it was, it was Huddersfield. Was and it I Huddersfield? remember that that uh, you weren't sure if he was actually playing for Liverpool. Is what your comment was, if I can remember <laughs> correctly. And I was actually far less harsh uh, on him, and really focused more on the fact that he's sort of a misfit on this team. And um, so, to the extent your question is, what did I think about Sturge's performance yesterday? You know, he had his moments. Uh, you know, the back heel that led to the um, cross by Trent for our second goal was a piece of quality. But overall, he just doesn't really fit. You know, he doesn't play with the speed. He doesn't play with the aggression, particularly without the ball. He sometimes holds on to the ball for too long. Um, he wants the ball played at his feet. Um, he just is like, um, he's almost like a violin player in a rock band. And, you know, other people, and he just kind of like, he just doesn't really fit. And, um, you know, and, and that's what I see. And I don't see it getting any better. And, you know, I think he is down to his last minutes as a Liverpool player. Um, so when I saw him in the lineup, I wasn't horribly surprised because of, the situation with Por- with uh, Firmino, I figured it'd be him or Origi. I didn't expect Shakiri to start, so I wasn't shocked to see him because of the circumstances. Um, but you know, he didn't play worse than I expected. That's what I'd say. I mean, I guess I was more surprised that he was out there after that Huddersfield game. I was like, okay, this was the last time we tried this experiment and it's not working out. And I thought we would not see it again. You know, it was almost like, okay, we tried this already and it didn't look very good. And I think it's just basically the pace that Sturridge plays in, wants to play in, just does not match our style. Like, he wants to take the ball, look up, take the guy on, you know, like, it's just like, it's like, dude, like, everybody's making runs constantly, you gotta move the ball, we gotta play faster, and I think that's big, but, you know, I was thinking, I mean, can Sturridge go to another team in the Premier League and be successful with that style? Because I feel like the league's pace has passed them. I can see him doing very well in other leagues, because, I mean, he's still a quality player, um... I mean, great on the ball, obviously lost his pace with the age and stuff like that. But more importantly, I think his pace of play more than his agility is what kind of has like regressed over the years. I mean, do you see him in another team, you know, like going to a team that just came up to the Premier League or anything like that and still being successful with his pace and style? I don't think you'd do great with a team that just came up because those sides tend to be defensive-minded and the strikers don't get a lot of service and they have to do a lot of hard work um, without seeing much of the ball for much of the game. And that's the typical formula that's applied by newcomers to the league. I don't think he would do well. I think he would do better in a team that sort of caters to his style, which is kind of a Daniel Sturridge-focused team, a team that um, other players do a lot of the hard work for him in terms of off-the-ball work. And, um, you know, he's given liberties to shoot from distance, hold on to the ball, basically being considered to be the main offensive outlet, and everyone sort of caters to that, uh, trusting that at the end of the day his quality will produce the goals that will justify you know, that sort of tactical approach. And so when I think about teams like that, maybe 
a mid-table team. Um, to be honest, it's really hard for me right now off the top of my head to think of a team that he'd be a great fit for, but it'd be that type of a team that you know, could tolerate or indulge some of the things that he's never brought and he's never going to bring um, as a player. And as you've, you've, as you've correctly stated, you know, some of his impact is also diminished because you know, he doesn't have the speed that, 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 he, that he used to have as well. So, you know, that's all that I really want to talk about Daniel Sturridge. I, I don't really see him, um, you know, as an important piece of Liverpool today. It certainly not, won't be part of it, you know, tomorrow. He's been peripheral figure all year. Uh, he had some nice flashes at the beginning of the year with a great goal against Chelsea, a very important goal, I would also say, against Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League. But he's really been a non-factor for the overwhelming majority of the season, and we've probably spent more time talking about him on this podcast than um, you know his contributions would you know, <laughs> merit. Do you see him <laughs> playing against Barcelona or next week in the league? Only, well, absolutely not next week in the league. Because I'm confident that Firmino will be back, and I'm very hopeful Mo Salah will be back as well. You know, midweek it's possible because I kind of feel like I don't want to say it's a throwaway game; it's a semifinal at home of the Champions League. But you know, recovering a 3-0 deficit uh, against a team like Barcelona is an extraordinarily tall order, and if you need to rest somebody. Um, and you have to pick, okay, which is the more important game? I think the ne- the more important game is next Sunday. No matter what happens tomorrow, I think the more important game is next Sunday. And uh, so I wouldn't be surprised, um, but partly it's because of the uh, situation that the, that the team are in. Okay, so let's go back to the Newcastle game. Uh, obviously, you know, not having Firmino hurts a lot. I feel like, I think we talked about this before in the podcast as well, where I mean, I personally think it's one guy that we do not really have a legit replacement for on the squad. That I mean, which is, you know, very hard to do what he does because, you know, the casual fan or if you're not a Reds fan watching every game, uh, you just do not see how much he does. If you're just looking at the end of the night, day, you know, if he scored or if he assisted or anything, you're kind of missing out a lot on, like, what Bobby does on the field. And, I, you know, obviously... I don't personally think we have somebody who can duplicate what he does, which, you know, would be a feat by itself because it's Bobby. Uh, But, I mean, we just don't even have anybody that can come close. Um, So, like, obviously, with him out, it made yesterday even tougher. I kind of knew, I mean, going to Newcastle, any away game in the Premier League, I feel like is always tough. And going to Newcastle without Bobby was kind of scary. So, and lo and behold, you look at the bench and Diva comes in with Shaq and those two combine to make a goal. So, obviously, I mean, after the contributions, we'll have Diva with us next year and Shaq is already here. Um, I mean, what did you think of the overall, like, impact of the bench? I mean, it's so, I mean, my initial take was it is so night and day compared to last year where you could look at the bench and it was like, Ugh, there's nothing here, so let's just keep going on the field, I guess. Whereas now you look on the bench and there are people who can kind of like bring different stuff. Yeah, I mean, I also think it was important to bring Milner on the field yesterday. He has that experience and, uh, you know, I think it counts in games like yesterday where it's physical, it's tough, it's away from home and a tough place for any team to come to. Um, so I think that that was very helpful. 
You know, in terms of Devok Origi, for me, um, he doesn't do much except score key goals, right? <laughs> like, I mean, because when I see him playing in the run of play, I think he often makes bad decisions. I don't think his technique is up to Liverpool level uh, overall. Um, but he's just one of these almost like cult-like figures that somehow he just shows up in key moments and produces. Uh, and so, I mean... I don't want to say that I'm surprised that he scored because he's scored goals like that before. But I think in some ways I give a lot of credit to, to Klopp because, you know, he's got guys who come off the bench who are incredibly motivated to make an impact in the game. And they're not, um, at least visibly, they're not, um, uh, you know, acting like they're entitled to start, they're entitled to, 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 to get minutes they realize they're playing for a top, top team. And whether it's three minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes, you know, they look like they're very motivated and happy to just help the team. And I saw that from him and Shaq yesterday, which I thought was uh, nice to see. So, yeah, I'm happy with the contributions that we made. To be honest with you, I think that that's an area we need to continue to strengthen. Um, I, I think that that's where Man City has an advantage on us, particularly you know, on the offensive side of the pitch in terms of their options. I mean, they can lose Aguero. They can bring in Gabriel uh, Jesus. And there are other players who sit on the bench there who, frankly, would start for just about any other top team. So I still think we need to increase our talent on the offensive side of the pitch. I want to see a deeper bench next year, particularly a player who can score from distance. But with what we have, one of the things, uh, Tamushin, that I think is so wonderful to see this year is I think we're a team that's overperformed. We're a team that, no matter what happens uh, come 11 o'clock and change next Sunday afternoon local time, I think we can be really proud of a team that uh, has really overperformed uh, expectations. They've given us everything that they have and more. And honestly, as a fan, I'm incredibly proud of this team. I mean, yeah, it's hard not to be. And like I said, you see these players, and it's kind of hard to find a quality player, a top-notch player, that is going to be willing to come off the bench. I mean, you know, all these transfer rumors have already started, and I'm sure we'll have all kinds of them like throughout summer. But, you know, you throw these names out there. I mean, it, you look at the guy's perspective. I mean, as Liverpool fans, we're like, dude, it's Liverpool. Come on over. Why would you want to go anywhere else? But if you look at the guy's perspective... Especially with our front three, you're trying to get like offensive players and, you know, those attacking position players are probably going to go to, you know, ideally would want to go to teams that they're almost like guaranteed a starting spot. So uh, I think it's very, I mean, comp especially comparing to last year, I'm very thrilled with what we can bring off the bench and the impact they do. And obviously Klopp does a great job of doing that. And one thing like I want to bring up, like you mentioned Milner, which I think is a great point is, I mean, we are able to do that because you have a guy like Fabinho on the field who can, you know, slide back to center back. So you didn't right. have to take out a midfielder or an attacking person, like a, you know, player to put Milner in there, which I thought was golden. Yeah, I thought there were some really good tactical uh, decisions made yesterday, and that's absolutely uh, one of them. I'll tell you one thing I did disagree with, we're just sort of spitballing today, is... I was not happy. The only lineup decision that I was not happy with was Dejan Lovren. 
Um, I did not want to see him next to Van Dyke. And I said at the, I guess, two podcasts ago, post-match versus Huddersfield, that I have confidence in anybody as long as Virgil Van Dyke is next to them. But I thought this was a pretty tricky fixture. Uh, and with Joe Gomez healthy and not really having had a ton of games, but is healthy and is ready to play, uh, I would have much rather seen him um, than see Lovren. Because we all know that Lovren is good of a player as he can be on his day. He's always capable of a big mistake. And I that was the one thing that I saw that I was like, huh, you know what, with all the tro- options we have today, game big as it is, um, I would have much rather seen Matip or um, uh, Gomez, particularly considering, particularly considering the situation with the Barcelona tie. And I thought maybe that, I mean, Matip was being rested for that. I mean, he's going to be needed in that game where we're going to play against a team that's probably going to sit back and, you know, try to hit us on the counter, which, I mean, they have the players to do so. Um, so that's where, you know, Joel becomes a lot more valuable because he can push up with the ball. That's, I think, the biggest difference. We don't want Van Dijk doing that too much. He's kind of like the safety valve that usually stays back. So it opens the door for the other center back so if it's Gomez or Matip I think they're good on the ball to be able to pick up the dribble take the space and make those lines of defense shift or close or open you know creating spaces whereas you don't get that with Lauren I mean he kind of like is going to try to play the long ball uh, like he did for example to Salah like the one that he got injured on but uh, like you know he likes to play those long balls which is kind of a harder against a defense that's you know that compact and they're just kind of like waiting for you. They're not going to let you get you behind them. Uh, so I think I agree. I mean, I, and my only thought was he's being rested and prepped for the Barcelona game. Yeah. And again, you know, these are decisions the manager has, has to make. And I, I do think Lovren was generally poor yesterday. And I think his uh, back his, his poor back pass to Allison created the platform for, Newcastle's initial equalizer and you know it's not all his fault but he just still has an element of insecurity about him and I think he's firmly number four among the four center backs and you know it all worked out in the end but that's the only decision I would probably quibble with and I think that's validated by the way he played and you know let's not forget that he got pulled uh, in the game you don't see too many center halves being pulled in the game um, yeah, so that's, those are sort of my thoughts. And I, I mean, I agree. And I think if you look at it on this, and I don't see us spending big money signing another center back. And if you think about it, if your number four is the best defender in the world and Lovren, I feel like, you know, you're in pretty good shape in terms of center backs. That's kind of like a strength for the, you know, the squad overall. And you have other areas where you can kind of, you know, use your money on. I mean, I don't see us signing anybody and I would be totally content with having those four. I mean, let's face it. We had like a really unlucky stretch where we had three center backs injured at the same time and had right. to rely on Fabinho playing that. I mean, that's kind of like a rarity. It's probably, I mean... You know, you're not going to have like six center backs on the roster just in case. So I feel like if Lauren and Matip are your three and four, you're in pretty good shape overall. Because like I said, he's not a bad player at all. No. Uh, his strengths are 
you know, I think it depends on the games we're playing. You know, you might play Lauren in a game where, you know, they have a big center forward that he's going to go against. Obviously, they're going to get away from Van Dyke. So, you know, to stop those air balls, I think he's a lot better in the air than Matip. But on the ground, I'm with the ball. As if we're going to be the mainly attacking on the ball team, I think, you know, Matip is probably a better fit. And obviously, Gomez is. I mean, the guy can play right back for all matters. So. So let's start a little prayer session, light up a candle, and what do you think Leicester can do tomorrow? Well, um, they're a team that's on a really good run of form. Uh, Brendan Rodgers has done a very good job since he's been there. I actually think Leicester was a team that was unlucky before uh, Brendan got there. I thought they played well in games and just found ways to lose them or tie them at at the very end. So they're a good team, and what's going to be different than last week is going to be that, or even the week before uh, against Man United, is Leicester is a team that's going to ask more probing questions of Man City's defense. And there are some vulnerabilities there, but they don't get exposed very much because they dominate the ball for such long stretches in the game. So I think Leicester is a team that can hurt City, on the flip side, Leicester is also a team that is susceptible uh, defensively, and they can also be exposed and hurt themselves. So it's really hard to say. I, I do believe there's a chance that they can get uh, something out of the game, but they're going to have to play uh, really hard. They're going to have to play um, very committed the way Newcastle was committed against Liverpool yesterday, the way Brighton was committed against Arsenal today. The way Huddersfield was committed against Man United today, although one would say, how committed did you really need to be when they were, you know, uh, playing as poorly as they were? So if they can show that commitment, uh, they have enough quality to get something from the game, and I, I, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen. It's it's at the Etihad, it's at the Etihad, um, so you know it's, it's going to be a tougher game. But uh, what, what I'm hoping for is that the game at least stays level deep into the game, like the 70th plus minute. And if Man City start to get a little anxious and push more and more players forward, I think that's where Leicester can really hurt them because they do have that quality and speed on the counter. And I mean, I think it's one of those games where, you know, when City was playing Burnley, I felt like the moment City scored, the game was over because you just did not see Burnley being able to score, they just don't have that much quality up front. You know, they're going to rely on a long ball or like a set piece and stuff like that. I feel like even if City score an early goal, I feel like, you know, that game will keep going and you would, I would have faith in Leicester being able to get a goal. Because I think not only they are good at the set pieces with like Maguire and they're like, like they're big guys in the middle. And like you say, like they have like Vardy and stuff like that. So they can kind of like attack and create some things themselves, like with Madison and things like that. So, I mean, cautiously optimistic as always, I guess. But um, all we need is one favorable score. I mean, do you, I feel like this is kind of like the last chance. I mean, Brighton today didn't look bad, but then again, it was against Arsenal. Um, Yeah. Then again, Brighton is going to be home. I mean, they don't have anything to play for, which sometimes that can make teams play a lot more relaxed and in some ways better, kind of like we saw with Newcastle. I mean, they don't have maybe nothing to gain, but at the same time, nothing to lose. 
Well, I think what you can count on from Brighton is that they will play very hard. Uh, they will work very hard. They will play very defensive. They will be organized. And I think that's going to be a little bit more similar to the Burnley game. The only difference would be, I think, Brighton have a little bit more going forward, which isn't to say much. Burnley are stronger at the back. So I think that kind of is a wash. Um, I, I think that that will be a very tough game for Brighton to take anything from. I, I, I really do. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think I think tomorrow is much more likely than you know us, having, us hoping that Brighton takes something away from Man City when Man City have everything to play for. Uh, so we'll see. You know, it's not nice to be in a position where you need help to win the title, but the uh, way Liverpool have played has just been incredible. I mean, the pressure they've been under to win match after match after match, no matter what the conditions are, sometimes many of them winning them late in the game, sometimes winning them not playing well, just this resilience, as I said to begin this podcast, this is a team that has the heart of a champion. And, you know, there's no second-place trophy, nor should there be a second-place trophy. But you can honestly say that no matter what happens, um, they, they really have played a tremendous season, and it's not over yet. Um, let's hope Brendan Rodgers can, uh, can, can do something for us tomorrow. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible. So looking at the league... Um... What did you make of the games this weekend? It was such a hot mess out there with some of those games. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the United game or the Arsenal game, or but but what did you make of the score lines and the pretty much the final result? I mean, we almost have the top four pretty much done and over with now. Yeah, I mean, I think the only quirk is that if Arsenal beat Chelsea in the Europa League final that would be Arsenal's way to getting to the Champions League. They're not mathematically eliminated, but their goal difference is such that even if Tottenham lose and Arsenal win, they'd be level on points, but Arsenal would have to reverse you know, a minus eight goal differential. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much over in terms of league placings. And I think the league table doesn't lie. I think Arsenal deserve to be where they are. Man United absolutely deserve to be where they are. And um, we'll just have to see. And in terms of my overall thoughts about the, you know, we can't really say it's a, it's a race for the top four in terms of the third and fourth place uh, slots for the Champions League because a race means everybody's running forward as fast as they can. <laughs> They've been dropping points right, left, and center, playing poorly. And it's like the two teams that have played the least bad out of the third to sixth uh, placings, those are the ones that are that are getting in. So it's not really been impressive. It hasn't been that exciting. Um, and I think those teams are really backing into a Champions League spot. And I'll just say this. We talk about a top four. I think this year the top four is in the snowmer. There's a top two, and then there's the next four. Um, the top two are f- so far ahead this year of the uh, of the others they're on a completely different level. I believe uh, Liverpool have more than 20 points um, b- beyond the third-place team. You know, so th- th- there's, I mean, you know, Tottenham is closer to Everton in seventh place or eighth place, wherever they happen to be, than they are to uh, Liverpool. So that tells you everything uh, you need to know about the league this year. 
Yes, exactly. I mean, these two just have run away with it. And, I mean, both deserving. I mean, you can't really... I mean, if City win their last two games and win it, I mean, you can't really take it away from them, the ridiculous win streak they've been on. And the way they play, too. I mean, it's not like, you know, they're playing this... Uh, like Mourinho ball or something like that. I mean, they're playing attacking football, and it's I mean, it's fun to watch them kind of like you know keep going at it and keep trying to score goals and stuff like that. Uh, so I mean, both will be deserving. Obviously, uh, the Reds will be more deserving. I feel like you know it's been one of those seasons where I can't recall a season where I've had so many hot attack moments, like almost weekly. Uh, watching the games, but at the same time, I mean, watching the fight in the team and now with the injuries and throughout the season, we've had injuries, especially on like, you know, defense, like we were talking earlier. I mean, it's been kind of like a squad battle to kind of bring the team to where it's at. It hasn't been just the same 11. We've relied on the bench. Uh, we've had guys like Diva coming in, scoring huge goals. We've had Sturridge score huge goals. I mean, when you look back at the season, and think of some like ridiculous goals we've had, especially in the last 10 minutes to get the three points. A lot of them actually have come from the subs. Right. And that's, you know, that's the huge strength of the overall squad, I think, and obviously more room to improve. But I mean, whatever happens, it's just like you can't do anything but kind of feel pride for the team. And it's just at the same time, it's like a ridiculous shame that, you know, you have a season like this. And I mean, they were showing on NBC sports, you know, like, you know, point totals. I mean, any other season, this is like a record, you know, record performance, but this season, it might not be enough to get a championship regardless of who wins it is kind of like obnoxious and shows how these two teams are well above the competition right now. That's right. I, I think so. And you can make a case that Liverpool and Man City are, you know, two teams that are in the top four in Europe. Uh, so that's how good they've been. And for either side for to not win the championship this year would be is, you know, I think either team would have a good case for feeling really aggrieved. But oh, there can only be one champion. And at the end of the season, the table doesn't lie. I mean, if we fall point short notwithstanding the fact we've played tremendous stuff this year, it would just mean that, for the reasons you've said, Man City slightly deserve it because of the ridiculous winning streak that they've been on after they faced a lot of adversity at the turn of the uh, year. So, you know, and, and I also like the fact that, um, you know, you don't have this ridiculous mind games between managers. Um, you know, you have two teams that are coached by very different personalities, but players i'm sorry coaches that really are trying to make an impact by the way their teams play and rather than you know engaging in mind games with uh, one another and uh, i think that's that's refreshing to see uh, uh, as well so we'll see we'll see what happens yeah i think that's a great point actually i think any other season you know, you I've never heard talk of, you know, oh, they get these calls, but we don't or anything like that. I mean, both coaches are focused on their team with respect to the other one. And yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I did not think of that, to be honest with you, until like you kind of like brought it up. But it is kind of interesting that they've never kind of like swapped each other. You can kind of tell like the mutual respect 
And yeah. they really should. I mean, you look at the, the points and how can you not? It's not luck. It's hard work and, you know, performance that makes it. So so yeah. what are the plans for tomorrow? Are you watching the game? Are you kind of like... Well, waiting? Uh, <laughs> um, it will be very hard for me to not find uh, a situation where I'm not watching the game or at least following the game. Obviously, it's a work day. Uh, but it is a really, really crucial game. And I will tell you what, yesterday, after Newcastle equalized for the second time, up until the winner, it was not fun to watch. It was brutally painful to watch. You knew your whole season was riding on winning the game. I know mathematically that wasn't the case, but let's be honest, realistically that was the case. And where I was watching the game after that happened, Newcastle's second uh, equalizer, the place was just silence. And when Liverpool scored, the place absolutely erupted. People were hugging each other, high-fiving, you know, strangers, not just their own group of friends. And you see the how much people are emotionally vested in their team. It's actually really nice to watch. So as to tomorrow, you know, if I manage to watch the game or portions of it, I know for sure I will not enjoy it because it will be really painful. It will be more painful because you're going to be rooting for a team that you don't really follow that closely and you don't have the same faith in them as you do your your own team. And you don't know how motivated that they're going to be. So it's, it's these are painful games to watch, I'll be honest with you. Um, but, hey, I'd rather – the fact that we are experiencing pain, you know, in the final week of the season means that we have something to play for. And I'd much rather have that be the case than be sort of waltzing through the last few weeks of the season. Exactly. I mean, you could be a United fan. You could always be <laughs> – it could always be tragic and you could have been a United fan or something like that, which cannot yeah. be a fun event right now. So, well, let's hope when we talk again, we'll be have performed a miracle on Tuesday and made it to the final. And we will be talking about a miracle created by Leicester and looking to win one last game to win the title and one final to win the Champions League for the double. You never know. Uh, just got to keep the hopes up and hope something happens. I'm cautiously optimistic, as always, for tomorrow. Uh, I think Leicester can do it. They have the, the players to be able to do it. So let's hope they can. Well, Debright, thank you for joining me. Uh, start praying now all the way till 4 p.m. tomorrow. That sounds good. I, I'll begin immediately. Thank you all for listening. Give us a follow, a share. We are now on iTunes and Spotify as well. Uh, let us know your thoughts. And up to Reds, let's get this title. Thank you.